And I'm Rebecca Lair, and we are the Mashup Americans. Since we say we're where America goes for therapy, it seemed appropriate to have a conversation about mental health. Also, the holidays are just around the corner, and we may need some extra pre-holiday therapy. Yes, therapy for our pre-family visits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we also already know that we have to set aside time to recover post-holidays, right? Yeah, duh, that's all of January, February, and maybe March. <laughs> just juice cleanses and therapy sessions. <laughs> well, I think the moral of this week is you're not alone. We are both big, big, big believers in therapy and in seeking whatever mental health support you need, whether that's talk or meds or a combo. And we also know that being mashups, there can be specific issues we're trying to get at that, like, we really need our therapists to understand. You remember when I was looking for a new therapist a few years ago, I straight up only looked in New York City for first-generation Korean-American therapists to help me process a bunch of things going on in my family. Like, I just could not handle the idea of explaining Koreanness in my fucking therapy sessions. Like, I just needed somebody who could understand the shorthand. So I recently read, actually, an article about how Asian-Americans, such as yourself, mm-hmm. are three times less likely than white Americans to seek mental health care. And a lot of the reason for that seems to be because of the stigma around it. It's not good, friends. I mean, we need all the help that we can get, especially my ladies out there. Asian-American women have the highest lifetime rate of suicidal ideation of any other group in the U.S. So, wait, uh, that means contemplating suicide? Yes, it means, like, seriously thinking about suicide in their life. (sighs) Fuck. I know. It's fucked up. And so I'm making it a personal mission to just erase the stigma in the Asian and the Asian-American community about seeking help. I mean, mental health was literally... Uh, I mean, it was never those two words never came together in my family growing up. And so I just want to say to everyone listening, I, Amy S. Choi, am out and proud as a regular therapy goer. And I have zero embarrassment about it. I mean, zero embarrassment here, too. I mean, how much more often could we talk about therapy in public places? Shout out to Joy, my therapist. (laughs) So there are also this is interesting. There are specific issues of how our genes reflect the trauma of our ancestors our grandparents, like, their traumas literally show up in our genes. The study is called, it's kind of a new field of study. It's called epigenetics. And if you think about it, so many mashups have trauma in their ancestry. Yeah, and well, I mean, like, my parents and grandparents survived the Korean War, suffered as refugees, and then saw the total devastation of their country, which was a bummer. Yeah, it's a bummer. I think that's a bummer. (laughs) To say the least. And I had the Holocaust in my family and all of my family fleeing their homes in Europe and immigrating thousands of miles away to Latin America and the U.S., which, you know, somebody might consider stressful. A little stressful. Yeah. And, and of course, (laughs) on one side of my family, I have four uncles and aunts who are therapists, and that may be the reason why. I mean, that makes sense to me. (laughs) So today we are talking about all of this with two incredible women, Nora McInerney and Kula Vilaisak, who are figuring out ways to tell their personal stories and destigmatize a lot of this while they're sorting it out. They're also both incredibly funny women, which helps because if you're going to cry, you also need to laugh. Today is a great example of the kinds of conversations that we're having that you can't hear anywhere else. We are here for you. You are not alone. 
To make sure we can have more of these, please consider donating. You'll make it possible for us to keep making the show, and you'll get cool swag with our Bayad's chill. Visit mashupamericans.com slash donate. How does our cultural inheritance weigh on us? How do we stay healthy to change the health of our children and our loved ones? These are really, really important questions for mashups. Yes, and it's like if you don't have a strong and healthy base, which is yourself, then we can't make better futures, not just for our kids, but for, you know, we got to do it for the culture. We got to do it for all of us. So to start the work on how to handle all the feelings. Mm -hmm. Lots of feelings, guys. We are so lucky to have with us Nora McInerney. Nora is amazing. She is the genius mind, voice, and heart behind Terrible, thanks for asking, one of our favorite podcasts. So Nora's not a traditional mashup. Here's how she answered our signature question, how do you mashup? Um, all of my ancestors come from the same part of Ireland. So Nora's not a traditional mashup, but she's definitely on our team. And we just love her approach to being real about pain and finding a way to teach our kids, especially, how to feel two feelings at the same time, as she would say. She's a mom, and she is super smart about thinking about how to share the truth about our past, which can sometimes be painful, without passing on the actual pain. So it does help to have a little background on Nora. She lost her husband Aaron to brain cancer in 2015, and her dad died around the same time. She was 31. Their son, Ralph, was an infant. There was no way to stop living and just grieve. She had to keep living for her son and herself. What's weird is how fun it was to talk to her about these things. What is always in your fridge? Milk. Whole milk. Don't try to serve me skim, all right? Don't try to feed me white water, which is what skim milk is. Whole milk and then whipping cream, which is what I put in my coffee. Amy could not join you for these things. Mm -hmm. Or any kind of potato. A baked potato. A french fry. A home fry. You're very true to your roots. And I like that I... about you. <laughs> what kind of foods do you eat? Just pale ones? Gooey ones? <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about a recent episode of yours, Love Hurts. You start in the first few seconds of the show talking about your first husband. I love saying my first husband, by the way. It just makes me seem, like, mysterious, I think. Like, my first husband. And then people have to ask, and I have to say, he's dead. And, woof, wow, I killed him. Just kidding. He had brain cancer. <laughs> or did he? Just kidding. <laughs> he did. He for sure did. But before I met my first husband, who died... Is this I how you've definitely... always talked, or is this something that you came to after answering this kind of question so many times? That is how I've always talked. I was always trying to be somebody else. I was always trying to not be like that or not be like I am, probably because I had a series of jobs in advertising where my bosses would be like, yeah, so when we go to this client meeting, don't be yourself. <laughs> like, whatever you do, just bottle that up and put on a lady suit and pretend you are this other woman. I have all these feelings. You can have them all at once and... Now I know that that's, that's not a bad thing, that it's not a bad thing to have my own personality. And I don't have to be the woman in the lady suit who can present a PowerPoint the most professionally. I can't present a PowerPoint very professionally, but it turns out I have other skills. <laughs> so. so many other ones. And thank goodness for you, because, you know, I think we all learn so much from the work that you're doing. Um, in talking about these 
profoundly uncomfortable things. What tips would you give for people who are trying to figure out how to feel all the feelings and accept all of them? I wish that I had been more concerned with what I wanted out of a situation versus what somebody wanted from me. And to me, that's why we tell everybody we're fine. And that's why even we use that question, not because we really want to know the answer, but it's just like, let's all get on the same page about how fine we are. But when you find yourself telling people who actually care or would benefit from the real answer, you should be thinking about the way that you present your situation and your life in the way that it's going to benefit you, not the way that it's going to perhaps make a a social or a professional situation easier for somebody else. Hmm. The thing is, like, when you remember that everybody is going through something, that can either make you super sad or it can just almost make it easier to to like be okay with things not being as okay with you because bad things come for everybody. It happens to everybody. That secret that everybody has, like my mom can't say the word cancer. It's always cancer. Mm-hmm. Like that, that you like, it's your, you whisper these terrible things because you don't want to wish it on yourself or on others. People can like not know what to do with you. And that experience itself is very alienating. Did you find that? Like you would walk into a room, people were like, oh no. Like, there's the widow. Yeah. I mean, and part of it was possibly, like, in my own head, but also I knew that it wasn't. Aaron was still alive, and we could see at the time Foursquare was still a big thing, and we could see literally all of his friends hanging out without us. And, you know, it's like, well, he can't really drink anymore or, like, rage, but, like, we for sure still like being invited to things, and that would feel nice. Mm. I mean, I think what's so amazing about the community that you've built, particularly around your show, is that now you have people that are, like, your people, that kind of natural understanding that comes when all of you have been open together. I wonder, did, did you look for books or shows about grief and about mental health before you made one? Um, I did not. I did not because I was, I would say when it was new, when it was raw, I was focused on living my experience, not analyzing my experience. Having written a blog about Aaron's sickness, myhusbandstumor.com, and having written Aaron's obituary before he died and having that go viral, I was also experiencing this alongside lots and lots of strangers who were reaching out to me all the time. And that is what I brought to APM as the show idea. (laughs) I brought an inbox full of people who were experiencing things, not just dead husbands and, and brain cancer, although I do have a strong niche for that, but people who were experiencing something terrible and who were reaching out to a complete stranger on the internet, not because all of them were total loners with no family and friends, but because the people around them had stopped asking about it or maybe assumed that the issue was over or that it was best not talked about. And they did want to talk about it. That was the only research I did was listening to people who were trying to tell me their story. One of the things that Rebecca and I are slightly more than mildly obsessed with is epigenetics. Do you think about that with your kids? 
Um, I think about that all the time because Ralph was there. He was born to a sick father. He spent the first couple years of his life watching his dad get sicker and sicker. And he was uh, there the day that Aaron died. And I'm a different person now than the person who gave birth to him. I'm a different person now than I was before I had my second baby. I don't know. I think that the best thing that I can do, I can't change what happened. All that I can do mm. is make it possible for us to talk about it and for my kids to know that the things that happen to us, they don't have to be a secret. You can go through a hard thing in life. You can go through a tragedy without it being the only thing about you. Like you're not just yes. a kid with a dead dad. You can be a fully formed person who went through a bad thing, but you are not your sad story. It's so reassuring to know that none of us are perfect. And I love that Nora talks about just being human, right. and that's not being perfect. We grieve. We have pain. It really makes me think, again, about bubamices and, you know, the wisdom of our bubbies, of our grandmothers, of our abuelitas, hominies, taking the time to grieve. So actually, in Jewish tradition, men don't shave their beards, right, for the seven days after someone dies. And so Neil's not Jewish, my husband, but when his mother died, he sort of naturally mm. stopped shaving, as did his dad and as did his brother. It was a sort of – that grieving process happened kind of naturally for them. They were like, this is this is something that makes sense to us to do ritualistically. Yeah. You know? Well, so speaking of time and space, to just deal with our feelings and ourselves a little bit, our next guest has done an amazing job of doing just that. My God, she is incredibly self-aware. <laughs> She's so, wow. so good. We're all in for a treat right now. Kula Vilaisak is an actor. She's a comedian, writer, showrunner, and filmmaker. Her first film, an autobiographical documentary called Origin Story, will be making the film festival circuit next year. Well, she took a couple years to make it because it turns out it takes a while to unpack a bunch of family trauma and make a movie about it. So Kulop was born in D.C. just like basically immediately after her parents, who were refugees from the secret war in Laos, landed in the U.S. It turns out they were, um, throughout her life, they also kept a pretty big secret from her. Well, we know her as a very funny woman from the show Children's Hospital and her series Bajillion Dollar Properties. <laughs> we also got to meet the full Kulop, and we're so, so glad we get to share her story with you. So, Kulop, how do you mash up? Okay, well, I am uh, Lao American, but genetically, I am uh, Lao Chinese Thai East Indian. And I uh, am married to a very white man. His name is Scott Ackerman, blonde haired, blue eyed. I am a writer, producer, actor, director, podcaster performer. Um, what else? Uh, I mash potatoes, but also, you know, move it into that cauliflower life. It's a lot of hyphens. That also sounds exhilarating and also sounds so exhausting to be all of those things all the time. Do you suffer the Asian ailments of lactose intolerance? No, but I, I think I need to, I should pull back and, uh, I think I need to pull back, but I feel like growing up in the Midwest, I grew up in Minnesota. I just have become super tolerant of it. 
I understand. I grew up in Illinois, and I think the Minnesotan and Illinoisian proximity to Wisconsin, <laughs> it just makes yeah. you feel whiter and sure. more like you're like you should be eating more. Do you dairy. say wider or whiter? Both, Both whiter <laughs> and wider. <laughs> Agreed. Um, okay, so it would be great if you could give us a super quick rundown sure. of origin story. You know the story you're telling. Um, Origin Story is a documentary uh, about myself. Um, You can attest my cheeks are already turning red. (laughs) And so it's about me going back and learning about what I call my origin story, which there was a night when I was 14 where I found out my father wasn't my real father. And I found it out in a very awful way uh, within a fight my parents had. I basically buried it from that point on till I turned 33. When I decided that it was time for me to uncover some family secrets, I had this origin story. I thought about it over and over again. Like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was my reason for being. I identified with it. Mm. And I I recognized that I needed to be free of it. Before making this film, did you feel like you were a family of secrets? Or I guess, did yes. you? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Around 2830. I started going to therapy. I started uh, realizing how many secrets I kept and how much of my family's issues and secrets I was holding on to and I was the keeper of and how much energy it takes to do that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of me getting better was about letting all of that go. It's still a work in progress. I'm still a work in progress. But yeah, oh, I don't I don't have to hold on to this stuff. Are you the eldest? I am. And and bringing things into the light is a lot. How has your family responded to that? I mean, at a certain point, I just kind of I, I had to do me, you know. Mm-hmm. I just had to do me. And my my family dynamic to what it was when I was growing up is completely different now. My parents are split. They had an awful marriage. My sisters, they're adults now. I don't have to be as worried about them as I as I used to be. Um, yeah, so yeah. now it's like I live by example. How much younger are your sisters? Nine and 11 years younger. So you were really protecting them or trying to. Yeah, with uh, varying results. Did your family have any sort of language around like anger, mental health or trauma? Like for a family that has been through so much, were your parents able to talk about it at all? The, the only time things were talked about was in anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was weaponized, especially for my mom. But my dad, too. My parents, they're survivors of war. Yeah. Um, there was a secret war in Laos uh, around the same time that there was a Vietnam War. Uh, Laos is the most heavily bombed country in the history of man, bombed by the U.S. There still remains unexploded ordnance in Laos right now. That this is what they were leaving. They left behind their homeland. They left behind family. There was uncertainty in refugee camps. There was danger in refugee camps. Then they came to America, and it was a complete culture shock. And then they raised kids, and they bought homes, and they started businesses, all the while never really getting to the root of their trauma and what happened even before, perhaps, the conflict in Laos, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think of yourself as a refugee or yeah. the child? So not just the child. I, I can only speak for myself, but I do feel like that it's in your DNA, that trauma, that what they went through. So then it's in your DNA, and then now it's in your environment because your parents are literally, like, how they raised you is absolutely based on what they went through. Mm-hmm. Well, we're super interested in epigenetics, how trauma 
it's actually inside of you. It's like in yeah. your blood and in your DNA, not like euphemistically. Yeah. I've read that and I believe that to be true. And it can only then be elevated by how your parents raised you with their experiences. It can only be further heightened. All I can really do is kind of tend to my side of the garden or, you know, if you're into gardening or my side of the fence, uh, if you're into home ownership, I don't know, or, or you know, my, my side Pick of the tennis analogy. court. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Pick it, you know, but like all I can handle and somewhat control is, is what I output and what's going on with me. Right? right. And knowing that has helped me with all of my relationships, my husband, my friends, my mom. We all know there's so many factors that we can't control. So if I can do this, I think that's good. I think that will help. How do you kind of manage some of the other things, right? Like, do you still want to scream when you're stuck in traffic? Or do you allow yourself to feel, you know, annoyed with your husband or all the... Yeah, no, I mean, duh. For me, going through this adventure, meeting my father um, uh, in this film, uh, in in my life, this film is my life, and then also the passing of my good friend, Harris Whittles. Mm. And I survived that and um, found found a way to carry on, right? When I think that I can't do something or, or I have obstacles, I think, well, I got through that. Mm. I got through that. Mm. There's just times when I must, you know, have perspective. And there are times when I'm being a whiny bitch and it's funny and sometimes it's fun as long as I don't stay here. Yeah. I don't dwell. Yeah, it's okay. You know what I mean? You know, I, I think that's true. Like, I think a lot about being grateful. Like, I'm so grateful for everything I have. Yeah. And then I feel guilty when I feel, like, sad or depressed or angry at something. I'm like, oh, my God, my life is so lucky. Like, I have family and all these things. But I'm also sad. My personal therapeutic work is trying to be like, those are all things that can be true. Yeah. If I think back at my parents or, like, growing up, you know, it often seemed like the little things irritated them a lot. They're, like... As a family, we got, like, hyper-focused on details, like, trying to control all the factors and make them perfect, which created a lot of stress in our house. Can you think of specific things now in hindsight? Like, when you were in Minnesota and, like, you're hanging out eating cheese with, like, a bunch of other white kids at school, (laughs) and then you're like, what? Why is this such a big deal to my family? Yeah, I mean, kind of what's coming up for me now is there's a lot of distrust. I feel that there's a lot of distrust in the... uh, in the Lao community. And I think that when they went to the camps, it became like more concentrated uh, version of that where uh, grudges that were new or old, now you were even in closer quarters. Mm. And then as they dispersed, and it's been about 40 years now, um, I think some of that distrust sort of remained uh, even as uh, communities started to form again. There was bonami between the like families, but to a point, right? Mm-hmm. There was, a, and my mom always said like you can't trust anybody. Like growing up was always constantly you can't trust, you can't trust, you can't trust. You know, I'm, I just was imagining your actual therapy session where you suddenly were like, "Wait a second, <laughs> I understand where this is coming from." It actually was <laughs> about two years ago. I was invited to uh, Lao American Writer Summit in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And that's when it was brought up. I didn't get that from my parents. My parents don't talk about that stuff. But it was pe- it was other people who were around my same age who were discussing that. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Like, there are people who um, who survived and they can't stop surviving. That's my parents. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to shut it off. They don't know how to thrive. They don't know how to be present. My mom, th- that's 
her saving grace in many ways and also her crutch. Is she going to see your movie? I'm sure she, I know, I know she wants to, yeah, for sure. It will be awkward. (laughs) There's no getting around it, but if I know Pat, um, she'll also enjoy it. Pat likes the spotlight. (laughs) Oh, Pat. (laughs) And and here's the thing. It ends up, like, I go go to meet my father like he's the missing piece, but ultimately it's my relationship with my mom. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, and that's how I'll grow is me having some sort of peace with that relationship because that's what I want to be as a mom. Part of the reason why I started going to therapy is I was, I was realizing that I was having intimacy issues. Mm-hmm. This is the trust, right? At 30, I didn't have a lot of female friends. I Direct line to my mommy issues. <laughs> um, part of that is like letting people see you, you know, and for the longest time I didn't because I didn't trust and let people close to me see me, you know. You know, I say a lot about myself on my podcast, but it's also stuff that I'm comfortable speaking about sure. too, right? So it's like, there are some things just for my own self-care that I don't need to blast out there. Really figuring that out, you know, like as an adult of what to share and how to how to be seen, which I want to be seen, and what, you know, is just for me and, and which can... Yeah, it doesn't have to be public. Yeah, but here's the thing. This documentary is super raw. <laughs> like, this documentary, I'm going to... I'm okay today talking to you guys. It's going to get scarier for me. This is... Not just putting my stuff out there, it's putting my family. I don't drag anybody. I I feel like I am honest about stuff, but it is exposing, you know? And that is incredibly frightening. Um, But that also, concurrently, was the point. If I was going to do this, we were going to go there to the root. We were going to talk about this origin story. You know, we just read this study that shows that Asian Americans are three times less likely to seek mental health support than white Americans. This film and this exploration of your roots and your family and that trauma, it really does a huge service in erasing that stigma of Asians in particular in being able to be honest about these issues. So I just want to say thank you. Oh. I know well, it's going to be hard. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, it's going to be hard. <laughs> I'm really proud of it. And as terrified as I am to show everybody, I, I, I want people to see it. So two questions here. Sure. Is making comedy in any way therapeutic or a release from the tension of this film? Growing up in my family, comedy and jokes and and watching TV, that was sort of the release of the tension within my family. So that's just like, it's... Your American DNA. Yes. What were some of the shows? So So my mom owned a restaurant uh, Mm -hmm. called Diamond Tie. Um, People didn't know what Lao was at the time because the war was secret. And so people understood Thai food. So she had a restaurant in Minneapolis called Diamond Tie. Her name, Pet, means diamond. And so um, immigrant family, strongly believe in child labor. I was a, was a server at 11, dishwasher at 8, and I did food prep pretty much, you know, pretty much 5, 7, you know. And food prep involved, like, deveining shrimp and cutting vegetables all while watching the TV that was in the kitchen. And so there was, you know, Saturday Night Live, Cheers, reruns of I Love Lucy, you know, happy days. So in general, that is my language, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's how I communicate for better, for worse oftentimes. But these two projects like Bajillion Dollar Properties and Origin Story, they're me, you know, they're my two halves, if you will. But they're absolutely related because 
bajillion dollar properties, everybody has like mommy and daddy issues in it. <laughs> and some of the laughs come from not being understood and, and just like wanting something while someone doesn't recognize it. <laughs> like it's very related, absolutely different tone. Um, we had to have some laughs uh, in Origin Story um, because uh, it, it gets really dark. <laughs> like, you know, but like that's me. I'll go there. I will laugh and cry in the same minute. That's welcome. Yeah. Like that's who I am. And while they seem opposites, I think because I d- did them, they're related. <laughs> One of our goals at Mashup is supporting people and hearing like people get to be their whole selves and not have to be one version of you. What advice would you give to a mashup who is still struggling with being able to tell their story and grapple with that? What would you tell them? One, community. Find community. Find people who get you, who know what you're talking about, right? That's so important to have support. We don't walk this life alone, and it's just more fun with friends. And also that revelation that you had when you heard other people talk about something that was your experience, but you had not put it into words or understood yeah. that it was systemic. Well, no, it's like, you know that feeling when you're like, I'm not alone? Yeah. Yes. I thought I was alone this whole time. I'm not. There are people like me who understand what, you know, I love my friends who are white. They don't get it. Yeah. How could they? I shouldn't even ask them to, right? My husband doesn't get it. But these people get it. Yeah. Two, if you're an artist... Put pen to paper, put finger to a laptop, you know, and write your feelings. Like, write, what are those stories that you tell? And then share them with those friends I was telling you about. The ones that you found that are like you, and then talk about it. Mm. Those are step one and two. And then... And then go to a lot of therapy. Yeah, also do that. <laughs> do that. That's sorry. Sorry, that's baseline. <laughs> so that's the whole there. That's sorry, pardon, pardon, yeah. pardon, pardon. Yeah, that's foundation. All right. Well, I cannot wait to see your film and cry and freak out. I'm already nervous about yeah. your first nervous. conversation with Pat afterwards. So yeah. we'll be thinking about yeah. you. Yes. And we expect you to come back after your premiere, and we're going to talk all about it. Can you laugh and cry all at the same time? Or that much? I'm just feeling there's a lot of emotions. Yeah, you know I like a laugh cry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's what we learned today. I mean, if Kulop can deal with investigating family secrets, including who her own father is and can still be so real and open and, you know, really fucking funny, (laughs) then maybe we can all take a little bit of hope from that. I'm going to go back to my therapist with renewed power. I mean, there's just so much to gain by facing our histories and so much to lose if we don't. So join us, Mashups. Whatever helps you, we just urge you to go find it and follow it. Next week, we're sharing our live show from WNYC's The Green Space. We're talking sex and relationships and dating as mashups. Um, we may also have some vibrator sound effects. Sorry about that. It's just, it's there. That's it. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week. The Mashup Americans are me, Amy Choi. And me, Rebecca Lair. Our producer is the great Lizzie Jacobs, and she had production assistance on this show from Erica Romero. Shout outs. Music this week by DJ Rob Swift and Alap Momin. And check out Nora's show, our podcast cousin, Terrible Thanks for Asking. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio, KPCC. Later. Bye. Bye.